Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for another day. We thank you for every day that you give us. The day called today is the only one that we promised. And we thank you, Lord, for guiding us and teaching us to spend all the grace that you give us for this day to acknowledge and to walk in the truth and the light that you, that you provide through your word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Help us to grow and to apply the truth that we find in you as we seek you with our whole heart, Lord, with the promise that we will find you and that you will show us wonderful things that we did not know. Thank you for that today, Lord. I ask that you magnify with your word, the light of your word, all of the things in our lives. Meet us at our point of need, in our minds, and our will and emotions, that they line up with you, Lord, and agree with you. And turn our eyes up to spiritual things and not down to carnal and worldly things, Lord. We know we can't do both at the same time. So help us to know when we're off. Bring us back into the light and help us to walk in it and share it with others as you've called us to do, to live the life of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17, beginning in the ninth verse. Might as well say the eighth verse. First Kings chapter 17, verse 8. It's the story of Elijah, the prophet. The word of the Lord came to him, that's to Elijah. He told him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it, and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth, And she went and did as Elijah said, 
and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elisha. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Well, this is a wonderful story put in the Old Testament as a type and shadow of things today. It's a picture of a desperate situation. This woman and her son were starving to death. They were down to their last bit of flour and oil just to make basically a one... Uh, one pita bread or a, a tortilla, you know? And she had decided that if nothing else changed in the natural, that that was enough to make one last meal for her and her son and, and then basically die from starvation. That's what she told the man of God. But this was a woman of faith. God had spoken to her heart. And because she was mindful of God and not just herself, she was obedient to the man of God and did what he asked. Elijah would have been criticized today for sure. How could you do that? How could you take this woman's last bit of food? You preachers, <laughs> always thinking of yourselves, always profiting from others' loss, you first. But let me tell you, that was not the truth. That's the truth to a carnal person to a worldly person, to a person who doesn't have faith or know God. But to this woman and to the man of God, who God put together two people of faith willing to do what was needed for their breakthrough. He needed to be fed and she needed a breakthrough to prosper her and her family. And God provided both. What Elisha, the man of God, gave her was not... He didn't take from her. He gave her an opportunity. Because you see, God is a sure thing. She would have had one more meal without Elijah bothering her. But based on what the word of the Lord that he had given to his prophet, he knew that the sure thing was a much better bet and a more long-term proposition. Amen? By putting the man of God first, she was really putting God first, wasn't she? Does the world see things that way? Absolutely not. They can't. Matter of fact, the entire message of the cross is foolishness to them, to those who are perishing. But it's not foolishness to us. But it can get that way. Sometimes we get so tied up in the things of the world, the cares of the world, we're seeing everything around us and not being mindful of the things and the ways of God 
that we could act just like the world. And when we recognize that we've stepped out of the light, what are we supposed to do? Repent. Go to the Lord. Jump back in the light. Matthew 5.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul talks about a running the, 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 the life of a Christian, the salvation experience as a race. In a race, everybody runs, he said. Everybody runs, but only one gets the prize. Again, this goes against everything that our culture is beginning to teach our young people whose minds are being corrupted by an educational system and media that are corrupt and carnal and don't know God. But he said only one gets the prize. And I'm here to tell you, when you put God first, you're never going to come in second. Look over in Isaiah chapter 55, Psalms, Proverbs, and you got the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and Isaiah is the first major prophet. Isaiah chapter 55. It's a lengthy book of the Bible, but it's powerful. Isaiah 55 verse 8 is a scripture that many have heard of and often used, and you hear it even in the world because there are a lot of things that catch on out there, but they don't really know the meaning. This scripture says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Our ways are not God's ways. The world has no knowledge of Him, and their thoughts and ways are different. God is good. God is compassionate and loving. But based on this scripture right here. And knowing, seeing who is really the provider. Who is the sure thing? Who is the safe bet? Who is the winner on every occasion when you partner with him based on this story from 1 Kings with Elisha and the widow, you see, her, never, her oil never ran out. That little bit of oil that she had there to make the one last cake, if she would have used it on her and her son and rejected God's instruction, she would have done just what she said she was going to do. She would have ate that and died. But it never ran out. Neither did the flour. He sustained her and provided for her for many, many days. Until when? Until the rain began to come again. This was a period of drought. Why would he cut it off when the rain came? The same reason he cut the manna from heaven off that he provided daily for the, for the children of Israel when they were out in the desert, when they entered into the promised land. Because there was no more need for it. There was a land of milk and honey. Now they had to roll up their sleeves and go out and get it, but it was all there for them. And the same when the rain returned, well, then things would grow and, and provide again. Amen? Amen? But based on Isaiah 55, 8, if God's thoughts are not our thoughts and neither are His ways our ways, 
What should we have? A more biblical perspective, I would say. We need a biblical worldview. We need a biblical home view. We need a biblical work view. We need a, uh, a biblical health and wealth view. We need a biblical view of our marriages and our relationships. We need a biblical view of everything in our lives. Because his perspective is the only one that's right. And unless ours matches up with his, then we're wrong. Period. It's the only right way. There are four things that we should do. To make sure that we have a biblical perspective. Four things that we need to understand I would say. First God wants us blessed. We need to have that settled in our hearts and minds. Next the devil wants us poor. Not only poor but dead. Thirdly. Jesus bore the curse of our poverty. On his body on the tree. And so God is not the problem is the fourth thing. He's the answer. Third John. Verse two. Is the scripture that points out that God does want us blessed. Most of you are familiar with third John two. It's a single half page letter that Paul wrote in the back. John wrote in the back. Excuse me. And it simply says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. See the correlation between our mind, our will and emotions, our soul and our prosperity in all things. The King James said, Beloved, I, I, I wish that thou mayest prosper and be in good health. And the word wish there. Is the same as pray. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So it says that all may. I pray that all may go well. Well that is the same as the word prosper. In the King James. So they're interchangeable. So it's God's will that we prosper. In every way. of our, In every area of our lives. And there's a definite correlation. When someone gets off in their mind. And their emotions. And their free will. Then there's a direct correlation to that slide. That's slipping away from the prosperity that God wants us and has provided for us. You say, well, if he's provided, I don't see it. Well, look, John 10.10. Proves that it's the devil that wants us. Poor and unhappy and dead. John 10.10. 10. Let's just take a look at it. These are some foundational scriptures. If you didn't underline 3 John verse 2, you should. If you, if you haven't underlined John 10.10 10 in your Bible two or three times and put exclamation points, then you might need to mark it. Or you can touch it on your... On your devices and it will highlight it and things like that. but And save that for you. But these are foundational scriptures to a life of faith. And, 
and trust in God, knowing that he's good, the devil's bad, and that he has only good things for us. Says the thief, Jesus speaking, the thief talking about the devil. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to steal from you, not just your things, but mentally he wants to steal what is it always that the that the that we've learned that the devil is coming after? Word. It's the word of God that's in you. Why? Because it's the word of God that produces life, life in the light, prosperity without any sorrow with it, and all of the wonderful things that Jesus died to provide us with. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So anytime there's something in your life that's trying to steal from you, steal from your, fi- you financially, relationally, physically. It's always the devil. And you shouldn't glorify him by harping on his successes, but only reminding him of the Lord's successes, because Jesus finishes it by saying what he has come to do. I come that they, you may have life and have it abundantly. This abundant life that he's provided for us is a real thing. But we need to keep this godly or biblical perspective In other words, if our ways and our thoughts are not his, we need to make sure that that changes until our ways and thoughts become like his. And when they do, we'll be walking in the light. We'll have fellowship with him and there'll be nothing to hinder us. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 9, that bears these things out that I'm talking about. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. How did he do that? There was an exchange of the cross, the atonement of the cross of Jesus Christ. He took every negative thing and in exchange, we receive all of his good things. Part of the curse in the old covenant, the curse of the law from Deuteronomy 28 was poverty. Poverty is not of God. It's of the devil who wants to steal, kill and destroy But Jesus bore our curse on his body on the tree. So now all of the blessings of Deuteronomy are ours. When we walk in the light and and don't hinder our ability to receive from the Lord. But the curse we we don't have to receive. We can reject all of those things on the merits of the cross. The blood of Jesus Galatians 3.13 mentions that he bore the curse on his body on the tree. But I can teach and preach to people about prosperity 
And remember, when I talk about prosperity, finances is just one of the things. That's just one of the things because it's probably the most carnal thing, but it's a necessary tool. And Jesus taught about it so much because we need to understand it. But prospering is every part of our life. It's the whole package. But we can preach about prosperity until Jesus returns. But unless the hearer believes and receives these truths with joy and applies them to their lives, they won't walk in prosperity. It's not just a magical spell. There's no tricks with God. It's all about faith. My faith, if I can get you to get your unbelief uh, at least in neutral instead of reverse, I might be able to use my faith and the faith of your loved ones or friends to lay hands on you and get you healed. Maybe get you a breakthrough somewhere, but you'll lose that if you don't, if you don't believe, if you don't walk it out. And you begin to talk against it and think against it and and have the stinking thinking and let those birds, which are types and shadows of that are flying overhead, that are types and shadows of the demonic oppression, land on your head and make the nest instead of running them off like you're supposed to. God gave us anger because he has emotions just like us. But our anger is never supposed to be at one another. The Bible teaches us that our enemy, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but but against those opposing forces in the spiritual realm, Satan and all his enemies and his his his, his demons. He's the enemy. Joshua one eight is this another foundational scripture that I, I hope you'll underline and circle and hang on your wall. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible after Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Joshua 1, 8, God gave this simple instruction to the man of God after he was trying uh, assigned with the task of filling Moses' shoes. Can you imagine And to lead the people, the children of God, into the promised land. A pretty daunting task, wouldn't you say? Especially since Moses led them around for 40 years and was never able somehow to get them in. And there's a whole lot of teaching I could do on that and why. But Joshua, being a type and shadow of Jesus... He's the one who did lead them in, just as Jesus is the only one, the only way into our promised land. Amen? But he gave Joshua an instruction, besides telling him to be strong and courageous and not be fearful. He told him this in verse 8, this book of the law, you might as well say the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, In other words, speak it. Speak the word. Speak the word over every situation, over every circumstance. Don't speak what you see. Don't be fearful. Don't speak what the enemy shows you. Speak what I say. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Not only speak it, but think it. 
Think about it. Meditate on it. Bounce things off of the Lord and say, Lord, I was, what does this mean exactly? And Lord, I'm sure thankful for this. And oh, I know you promised this, Lord, but this other thing is coming against me. Help me to meditate on this promise regarding that part of my life right now. And nothing else until I see it come to pass. Meditate on it day and night. That's to remember the chew and the cud. Just getting every good part out of it. Mulling it over. So that, why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. In other words, you need an obedient heart. And, and if you don't meditate on it, if you don't focus and concentrate on the word and speak the word, then you won't know what to do when the time comes. Because you won't remember what I've said. You need to have it in there. It needs to be revelation. You need to mull it over, meditate on it, speak it until it becomes revelation knowledge for you. For then you will make your way prosperous. You see that? There's the prosperity he wants for us. Then you will, then you will succeed, in other words, in every area. You will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. <coughs> Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Glory to God. So there's a lot of truth to that. So, having a biblical perspective, and meaning it, okay, because... Based on the story from the, the widow's oil and, and what the world would have said about that and the instructions, the advice they would have gave her, but what was really best for her was God's way, right? But to do that and to do it all the time, we need to have God's perspective on things because His ways and His thoughts are not like ours and so we need to make sure... That we're in agreement with Him so that we can walk with Him and fellowship with Him in the light. And to have a biblical perspective and to, and to really mean it and not just be a hypocrite is to apply those truths. And that means being actually being obedient to the Word. Not just sometimes. Not just when it suits you. Not just when everything is best for you. Not just when you're in agreement with God, but until you're in agreement with God. You need to mull it over. You need to keep it on your mouth and on your heart and on your mind. And you need to put your trust in Him. And sometimes that's not a feeling, it's a choice. Because sometimes you're not going to feel it. You're not a lot of times going to feel it, especially when you're trying to rid yourself of the old self and you're dying to self, and you're dying to the flesh, you're dying to your carnal emotions and thoughts and ways, the selfishness that we're born with, you have to kill that person. You have to die to self and live unto God before you can experience the promised land, the blessings of God that He has died to give you. And when you agree with God, you're never going to lose. 
He's a sure thing. But when you do, and you're still a little bit carnal, a little bit of the world, a little bit of yourself and the old man, the old ways, you're going to feel like you're losing when you agree with God. But just like when that widow went and prepared that last bit of food that she wanted so desperately and was probably so hungry for, for her and her son. She had their plan made up. I'm sure even though God had spoken to her because he said he did, and she was a woman of faith, and she must have recognized that Elijah was a man of God. But when he told her to do what he told her to do, I'm sure it crossed her mind. That, no, that's, this is for us. This is the last bit I've got. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, she might not have said it because she did exactly what he said. But I'm sure it crossed her mind. But what did she do? She didn't allow that carnality to take root and bear fruit. In other words, she didn't think on it and just meditate on her way and speak it out. Which would have killed the whole thing. No, she ran that thought off and agreed with God. And it was right to do so because it prospered her and her family. And it was a blessing to God and it blessed the man of God. Second Corinthians 9 verse 8. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight, if I can find it real quick. Keep passing it up. <laughs> well, there we go. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When God prospers us and allows us to live in prosperity and to be a blessing, it should result in a thankful heart. That's something you don't see very often. In this world, especially in this nation, it's sad, but it's true. We have been blessed more than any nation in history, yet we're very, very far from God. And it shouldn't be so, because if you're really a person of faith and God is first and foremost in your life and you He's the first thing you think about and he's the first thing that you 
consider in all your ways and and deeds, then it should be Him that we're thanking continually. Because even when things are what we might consider pretty bad or we have it pretty rough, it's not nearly as bad as we think. I read a, a letter the other day that I saw. It was from a foster kid. And it was what they wanted or would be thankful for in a new home. And the list was amazing. It was, it was about a place where there would be no drugs and they wouldn't be beaten. They would have covers, a bed. They would have covers of their own and there would be no bugs or lice and that they would have their own toothbrush. These are the things that these kids were believing for and they felt would make their heart very glad. It was a much lengthier list, but it was all things like that that you would just make you stop and think a little bit. I just want to end with this. Having just come through Thanksgiving and enter into what should be the most joyful and thankful season of the year when we focus continually on Jesus and what He's done, what the Father has done by sending the Lord Jesus in the way that He did to make a way for us back to to Him. We should have thankful hearts and This is something I just wanted to read to you. This is another letter. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. Speaking of us and our nation. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. That's Abraham Lincoln from 1863. Some 150 years ago, and if that was the condition of our nation then, just imagine how he would look upon it now, speaking the same way about the same things, and how far we as a nation have drifted from God. I find that even those who call themselves by the name of the Lord 
are many times Christians in names only. But I'm not the judge and I'll continue to do what he's called me to do to help to minister and to teach his truth to all those who would listen and to desire to grow in the grace and truth of God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit. I pray today, just coming through this Thanksgiving in our nation and entering into this beautiful time of the year, that everyone who hears this message, not only those in our nation, because I know there are those of you that listen all over the world and I need to one day soon mention you and all of the nations and cities around the world that I know are listening and and I'm thankful for you. But God's truth works no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter when you are. And we love you and are praying for you. We pray for all of those who are hurting this time of year. But I encourage you not to focus on those hurts. That there's no future in the past. And if you can take the bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart and give those things to God to free yourself from the prison that they've created for you and begin to walk in the truths and teachings of Jesus Christ, you will be prosperous. The devil will not be able to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And you will begin to understand and participate in the abundant life that Jesus Christ has died to provide us with, not only in eternity with him, but in this life. And then he would take you even further. Once you've been helped, healed in your mind and will and emotions and body. And empowered by his Holy Spirit and the truth of his word. And you allow him to love you and you have revelation knowledge of the depth and width and height and length of the love of God for you. And the power that resides within you, that same power that raised Christ from the dead. Once you receive all of these things in abundance, that you will overflow and begin to share them with others. Courageously, never being ashamed of Jesus or his truth or his word. Knowing that one day you will stand before him and account for every word and thought indeed of this life. If you become born again and take Jesus as your Lord and Savior, allow him to forgive you for your sins and to be the Lord and Savior of your life, then you will not have to suffer judgment as the world will, but you will still answer and there will be rewards and the loss of rewards for the things that we do in this life. Father, we thank you for this truth and for all of your love and blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.